Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So to youth, let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store in episode number 158. We are going to wrap up week number six and talk about everything we learned from a Dynasty perspective. It was a very uh, fun uh, week for sure. Uh, there were fewer close, exciting games you know, than there has been in recent weeks, but a few games came down to the wire in the NFL. Very impressive, including my very impressive uh, Dallas Cowboys win in overtime. And my fantasy week, personally, uh, was just as exciting as that Cowboy game. I had five, day, five games, five out of my ten, were down to the wire on Monday night. And even though I had Monday night guys playing for me and against me in the same leagues, I kind of threaded the needle and I won four out of those five that came down to Monday night and had a pretty good week finishing seven and three um, on the week. Good for me to have a good week because I've had several bad weeks in a row. But like I, I say every week, and I always remind myself every week, you know, win or lose, it's a joy <laughs> to watch football all weekend and cheer on all my dynasty teams. So after following all the games this week, uh, I'm going to give you a few of my thoughts on the players and situations that impact our dynasty teams. And uh, usually, I try to talk about a player or situation um, that I haven't talked about in the past. So hope that you enjoy these 10 observations, some waiver wire tips for this week, and then I'll mention some of the trades, and trades have been a little bit more active, some of the trades that have taken place in my leagues uh, this week and give some context to them. So let's begin. Thanks for listening. All right, point one would be there was a wave of running back injuries. And there was a rash of injuries and health downgrades this week that caused it to be a very tough week for running backs. Christian McCaffrey was finally placed on IR, just when you hoped you'd get him back. Then Chris Carson was also placed on IR, as well as Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, Saquon Barkley was ruled out pretty early in the week, but then Nick Chubb was declared out pretty late in the week. And all these injuries combined uh, with the first four-team bye week of the season uh, meant that there were a lot of backup running backs that were inserted into fantasy lineups this week. And some of them actually performed uh, pretty well for their teams and their dynasty managers. Uh, Chuba Hubbard scored a modest 13 uh, points. Devontae Booker, Booker uh, 8.9. Daryl Williams scored twice and totaled 22.4 fantasy points. And then Alex uh, Collins combined uh, compiled 16.3 fantasy points um, on a 100-yard day and one touchdown night uh, on Sunday night. Kareem Hunt, who you know people thought would be the best one to take advantage of this, uh, he's more like a 1B than he is like a backup, but he only scored 9.3 points because he actually injured his calf, and now he's expected to miss several weeks. So in one league this week, I had to pick up Dearness Johnson and start him because my entire running back room was injured or was on bye weeks. Uh, I really don't remember a week like this where there are so many injuries and questionable tags on players. At least some of those uh, that were questionable were cleared to play last minute, like Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, uh, Chase Edmonds, Melvin Gordon, DeAndre Swift. Uh, but otherwise, this would have definitely been the worst injury week in history. Uh, next week, things are not going to improve either. When many of the same players are going to carry these questionable tags, and then next week there's six teams that are on by. Second observation for the week is that Hurts, Jalen Hurts that is, future is uncertain. Uh, Hurts did not look good on Thursday night. Uh, while he racked up some fantasy points in garbage time for his fantasy managers, he just didn't look like a competent NFL quarterback. 
I think his future with the team is very uncertain. He completed less than 50% of his passes, missed wide-open receivers, just like he did the week before, and Philadelphia fell to 2-4 in the season, and now it trails Dallas by three games in the division. I think another loss or two like this, and the Eagles may be forced to see what they have in Gardner Minshew so they can evaluate what they need to do with their three first-round draft picks that they have in April. As of last Sunday, the three draft picks would have been all in the top 10. Amazing. If Houston and Indianapolis continue to play poorly as the Eagles, uh, they'll remain top 10 picks, three top 10 picks possibly for them. I think that Indianapolis is improving. You'll hear more on that later. Uh, But the Eagles and Texans seem sure to finish among the worst teams in the league. And with what's sure to be top two 10 picks, at least, and then one more pick in the first round, I think the Eagles would be pretty foolish if they didn't draft at least one quarterback. But there's also this fact that the three first-round picks make them possibly the team only, the only team with a package of picks big enough to trade for Deshaun Watson. Uh, Hertz will continue to help dynasty teams this season, but for the last, you know, or at least for the next few weeks, in case they actually try to go to Minshew. But banking on him to be one of your dynasty team starters for the next decade, um, I think you might ought to make other plans if you're thinking about that. I'm not sure that he's a future starter in the NFL. Third point is that the Ravens are on fire. Uh, I didn't get to comment on the Ravens game last week because I had to uh, do the podcast a day early before Monday Night Football, uh, but their offense looked so terrific last Monday night in that ridiculous comeback game. And then this Sunday, they just stifled the Chargers, uh, rendering every Charger fantasy player a bust, which really was the case. Uh, the Ravens showed the last two weeks that they could win throwing the ball. You know, like they did on Monday night, 43 times for 443 yards in a comeback mode. Or they could win um, by throwing the ball just 27 times, like they did on Sunday, with only 167 yards passing when they were in what I would call control-the-clock mode. I think all three of their veteran running backs had touchdown runs this week. Pretty crazy, these old men. Latavius Murray, uh, Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell all scored touchdowns. But the thing that was most exciting to watch this week was Rashad Bateman. He saw his first action of the year, and right away he led the wide receivers in targets. Isn't that crazy? Right away, his first week. And he had the same number of receptions as Marquise Brown. I think he had six targets, and Marquise had five. He was tied with uh, Mark Andrews as far as six targets each. But Rashad Bateman got involved right away, and he really wasn't eased into the lineup, you know, after this injury. Instead, he played 45 snaps in his very first game. I think his addition to the Ravens, it's going to make them even harder to defend. So they're going to continue to dominate opponents right now. Um, it's easy uh, to start Raven. It's not easy, rather, to start uh, any Ravens running back. But I think that Rashad Bateman is soon to be added. Not yet. Give it a week or two. But he's soon be added to be the every week starter alongside Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews in this offense. Fourth thing I'll mention is life without CMC. Life without Christian McCaffrey. Carolina is experiencing what I'm experiencing on three of my 10 dynasty leagues. It's so hard to win without Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the Panthers were 3-0 and with CMC playing, and now they're 0-3 without him playing. CMC scored 50 fantasy points in nine quarters of play uh, before he was injured in the first quarter of Game 3. Chuba Hubbard has come in to replace him. He's still scored a total of 47 in 15 quarters, so almost half of what McCaffrey was able to produce. I just think there's no replacing CMC. Comes obvious, maybe you think. But I started looking at the other things too here, and Sam Darnold has has had one good fantasy week without CMC, but his quarterback ranking, even including in that game, has fell from an average of 99 
quarterback rating for the first three games of the season to an average of 62 since. Uh, DJ Moore has had one good fantasy day without Chris McCaffrey. That was in their comeback effort against the Cowboys. But in the last two weeks, he's averaged just seven fantasy points per game. And all the drop passes on Sunday night certainly can't be blamed on CMC. Sunday, uh, they dropped a lot of passes. But Carolina's 306 total yards of offense on Sunday show me that something's wrong with Joe Brady's offense, even though we thought it was going to be so great. I believe that CMC makes a big difference, uh, and he unlocks the whole offense. Now that he's on IR, it's going to be several more weeks like this, it's going to be pretty difficult to trust Panthers players. Fifth thing I'll mention was the Raiders' rebound. Um, After a tumultuous two weeks in the Raiders organization and the resignation of their head coach, John Gruden, the team really rallied together um, on the road to beat down pretty pretty strict, strictly, pretty stomped down the Broncos. Uh, Derek Carr was back to his 300-yard throwing himself like he always is this year, it seems. The only problem is that for fantasy managers, uh, he spread the ball around so much. After week one, when Darren Waller, if you remember, received 19 targets on that Monday night game, 40% of the target share, he's settled down now to an average of seven targets per game. And that this Sunday, he had a season low with only five targets. I think this trend is very upsetting for Waller managers who expect him to win weeks for their teams. And then there's Henry Ruggs and Hunter Renfro and Brian Edwards. They consume the bulk of the rest of Carr's remaining targets, which have really been distributed pretty evenly. Renfro has had a couple of high-targeted weeks um, and making him kind of a viable wide receiver three in PPR leagues, while Ruggs is clearly the deep threat, and he's going to be a little bit hit and miss if he was ever to insert him into starting lineups. And Edwards... uh, fourth on the team in targets. He's just not startable. Dynasty managers are rightfully frustrated uh, that he's not breaking out this year when we all thought this would be the year. So Dynasty managers uh, likely have to start Josh Jacobs when he's healthy just because the average is 16 touch per game and you just, you need that if you can get that every single week. But his upside really is limited while Drake has been the, you know, had the better fantasy day on Sunday with fewer touches and he's the guy that they prefer to have in in passing situations. So I'm happy for the Raiders and the team's success, but I'm frustrated that it's not related to, you know, resulted in at least one other player breaking out or having a breakup, breakout season. Next point I'll make on this week is Baker Mayfield is a trailer and not a truck. Uh, if you listen to the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, you've heard them describe quarterbacks as either trucks or trailers. Trucks are the guys that can pull the load while trailers are just along for the ride, and I think Mayfield is a trailer. Uh, This week, when the Browns needed to rely on Baker after falling behind in the game and after playing without Nick Chubb and then later without Kareem Hunt, he proved that he couldn't carry the team on his back. Apart from the surprising shootout with the Chargers last week, primarily based on big plays, uh, big running plays, and then a 71-yard run after the catch by David Njoku, Mayfield's just been below average in fantasy and reality football. Uh, He's really going to have to face a test the next few weeks while Chubb and Hunt are sidelined with injuries. Uh, two weeks, Mayfield played terribly. Uh, these um, last two weeks, he's played terribly. Uh, two weeks ago, he played terribly, missing touchdown passes. And this week, um, he would have just scored 10 fantasy points total if one of his touchdowns didn't come, you know, to bail him out, you know, with a Hail Mary at the end of the first round, that, uh, end of the first half, rather, that was caught for a touchdown. Uh, the Brown, Browns produced just 290 yards of total offense on Sunday while playing in front of their home crowd, too. Uh, Their next two games are at home against the Broncos and the Steelers. If Mayfield can improve, I think he's going to start to hear the Boo Birds there in uh, Cleveland. His shoulder injury may be just what the Browns need to give Case Keenum a chance to see what he can do with the offense and 
We know that he did well with the same offensive scheme when he played for Minnesota under Stefanski. So I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it could be one of those things where someone maybe has an injury and we're just going to try to give someone else a chance and save some face for Mayfield. Next thing I'll mention is that two top rookie picks are proving it. This is not, you know, anything revelation right here, but like most analysts, my top two rookies in the 2021 class were Jamar Chase and Najee Harris um, in that order. And they're proving to be even better than expected. Both were in their team's starting lineups from day one, and they were in dynasty lineups, starting lineups from day one. And since that time, Chase is averaging 16 fantasy points per game, while Najee's averaging 17 points per game. Uh, Chase is winning on the backside, you know, on the back of big plays. And while he didn't score this week, he had yet another 50-yard tech catch. It's just what he does. He's second in receiving yards in his first six games. So this is crazy. He's second... He has the second most receiving yards in his first six games in NFL history, only behind Anquan Bolden, who had more. Then there's Najee Harris, who's he's really winning on sheer volume and involvement in the passing game. He is the most targeted running back in the league. Amazing. With more than seven targets per game. And he's seventh in the league in carries per game. So I'm not breaking any news here by mentioning these two awesome players, but I just wanted to point out how great it is to see top-tier players in their class not only making an immediate impact, but really to make a historical impact as they both are. Next thing I'll mention, three more here before we get to the waiver wires and trades. Uh, Leonard Fournette and Daryl Henderson are RB1s. Over the last three weeks, uh, Fournette and Henderson's workload has increased and they're producing like RB1s. Uh, they can, if they continue on this pace, they're going to end the season as top 12 uh, running backs. I'm uh, sure of that. Even though their dynasty values were far from that range when the season began, but over the last three weeks, Fournette, get this, Fournette's been averaging 22 touches and 20 fantasy points per game. Henderson is close behind and at the same time frame, averaging 20 touches and 18 fantasy points per game. Ronald Jones and Sony Michelle uh, pose no threats to their playing time right now. They've only been used sparingly to give Fournette and Henderson small bits of rest, and they've been used at the end of games when games are already at hand, are out of hand. So I think Henderson and Fournette, they're both reliable starters for the rest of the season and will have a chance to increase their dynasty value significantly. Henderson has one more year of his contract, so he's going to have to compete with Cam Akers if Akers is able to recover from his Achilles injury. And Fournette's in the final year of his contract, but he can earn a new contract with the Buccaneers if he keeps pace. And it's really rare to see running backs uh, regain dynasty value once it's been lost for a year or two, but it seems like these two are doing it and they're on the rise again. Two more things here. Uh, one is I'd say that the Colts are improving. Uh, the Colts have had some heartbreaking losses this season, that's for sure, including the crazy Monday night game last week that I didn't get to talk about since I recorded early. Uh, but they're improving as a team, and they have every chance to come back and win their lousy division, uh, even though they've started just 2-4. and four. Um, As the team improves, so too has the fantasy value of many of their offensive weapons. Uh, Michael Pittman had a bad week this week. He really did. Uh, but mainly because the Colts just dominated the Texans on the ground and didn't even have to pass. However, the, the, the weeks prior, Pittman established himself as Wentz's favorite target with 12, 12, 8, and 7 targets in the previous four weeks. He's been in, uh, had that incredibly uh, awesome touchdown uh, catch on Monday night, jumping over the guy's head to make the catch. And uh, Even though the Ravens came back, you could tell what they had there. And then this week was a great surprise because T.Y. Hilton made his return from injury and immediately was involved as the deep threat. Uh, he played 24 snaps, but he led the team in targets, meaning so far he's a top target when he's on the field. When he's on the field, he's a top target. 
Similarly, uh, Mo Ali Cox continues to be uh, outsnapped by Jack Doyle, yet Ali Cox is the one receiving more targets. Uh, he scored a touchdown again this week. I don't think he's reliable as a starting tight end until the snap counts switch more to his favor, but he's a guy to keep monitoring for sure. And then, of course, there's Jonathan Taylor. He's everything he felt with, that we thought he would be. Even though the Colts don't give him near enough touches, and it makes us mad as, as dynasty managers, uh, he made the most of them again for the second week in a row and logged his longest run from scrimmage in the, the season this year. That's not just him. That meaning the longest run from scrimmage in the NFL this year, 83-yard burst. Um, I think that he's just a big play waiting to happen, which is why as a fantasy super, you know, he's a fantasy superstar even without being fed the ball as many of the other backs that we've talked about. I think the Colts are improving, and I believe they're going to catch the Titans and eventually um, find themselves in the playoff just because they're in that bad division. I think things are looking up for all of the Colts from a fantasy perspective too. Final uh, big point from this weekend is I'll call it Miami's mess. Miami's mess. Miami has been one of the most surprisingly bad NFL teams this year. It really felt like Clutch Flores was building a solid team and improving, but this year it's just been a disaster. This week, they got Tua Tagovola came back, you know, to play, and they were playing the hapless Jaguars, uh, who hadn't won a game in 399 days. <laughs> Even so, the Dolphins found a way to lose on a last-second field goal. Man, last year it was so frustrating. Like last year, Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed touched the ball 20 or more times per game, which every one of them was the healthy running back. This year, not only have the Dolphins not committed to any one uh, as a lead back. Uh, they've added a third back in the rotation with Malcolm Brown. And this week, you know, after Gaskin had the heaviest workload of the season last week and seemed, you know, to be returning to the last season's pace, uh, they come back this week and they have the most even split that they've had all season. It's so annoying. 25 touches or 25 snaps for Gaskin, 25 for Ahmed, 19 for Brown. They just cannot be helping us at all in the running game. But the same's not true um, in the passing game. The pass catchers have established some pretty clear roles, even though those roles may change once Devontae Parker and Will Fuller return from injury. Uh, for now, it's the Waddle and Gusecki show. Uh, really, it really, really is. Uh, Waddle is the underneath guy. He's got an A dot of 4.65, average depth of target 4.65 yards. And then Gusecki is a seam stretcher uh, with an A dot of 9.64 yards. Uh, Gusecki's ADOT is actually a third highest among tight ends with 15 or more catches this season. That's just behind Darren Waller and Mark Andrews. Most people don't know that he has had that kind of, he's in that kind of company this season right now. Um, he's called a tight end, but he's really more of a receiver in how he's playing uh, this season. And for the second time this year, Waddle had 13 targets, uh, catching 10 for 70 yards and two or for touchdowns on red zone plays that were specifically designed for him as the first target. So Gusecki and Waddle are the only startable players on this dreadful team, but they're about as high volume of players as you could get right now. And that might change when Parker and Fuller come back, but for right now, those two you can bank on, even though Miami is a mess. Let's move on to talk some waiver wire. Let's get you ahead of your uh, league mates when it comes to the waiver wire this week. As a reminder, I do play in 27 to 30 man rosters, and so this means you know these are deep leagues only. If you play in shallower leagues, there are certainly better players to pick up, but if you're in true dynasty leagues, these are the players that I would recommend trying to pick up uh, this week. The first was already mentioned would be Dearness Johnson. As I already mentioned, I picked up Johnson in one league this week where I rostered uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on my team, 
And I'm glad I picked him up there at least because I think he's going to be the hottest player on the waiver wire this week and justifiably so. Uh, Hunt's going to miss, it looks like, at least three weeks, they said today, and Chubb's likely to miss another week or two. And I don't think Demetric uh, Felton has the size to be an every-down back. Um, he'll be active in the passing game like he has been, while Johnson's going to get the bulk of the carries, uh, making him a startable player uh, during you know this whole week when we're going to have a lot of bye weeks coming up. It's pretty rare to get a starting running back off the waiver wire in dynasty leagues and deep dynasty leagues. Uh, but for the time being, that's what Johnson is for the Browns. He'd definitely be the first guy to be looking to pick up. Second would be Chris Moore. Um, I did add Moore, actually, in a few leagues last week, and I hope to pick him up in a few more leagues this week. Uh, Moore got the second most wide receiver snaps behind only Brandon Cooks for the Texans. Uh, it was Nico Collins' first week back from injury, so Collins could become the wide receiver, too, over the next few weeks. Uh, but this first week that they played together was actually Moore that outsnapped Collins, so take note of that. Uh, Moore and Collins had four catches each. I think they are going to compete for the second, to, you know, to become the second most targeted player on the team. And it's a team that's always going to be trailing because Houston's so bad, so they're going to get a lot of targets. I think the Texans definitely have draft capital in Collins, and so he's likely to win the job long term. But I'd, I'd be willing to add more just to wait and see if he actually remains uh, the second most snaps and targeted guy on the team like he has been the last few weeks. Third player I saw was available in a couple of my leagues was Devontae Freeman. Latavius Murray scored a touchdown early in Sunday's game, but then he left with an ankle injury, and Freeman really was the next man up. He was ahead of Le'Veon Bell. I think he should be the starting running back for Baltimore if Murray can't recover from this injury. Uh, Baltimore shares the running back's load, you know, more than almost any team will do. So, um, you know, they might even do some more now that they've got this old man backfield among them. Uh, but Freeman looked the best on Sunday. Uh, he's still available in a few of my leagues. I think I'd probably only add him if I was one of those teams that really got hit with the injury bug and was devastated at running back and then just needed someone to maybe give me something. Um, but he's worth mentioning. Last guy that I'll mention here is Tyreek Jackson. Uh, Tyreek Jackson. Uh, he's kind of a sneaky long-term player to pick up this week. Uh, he's now the second starting tight end in Philadelphia now that Zach Ertz has departed. Uh, he played very, very well in the preseason. Uh, he's enormous. He's, he's six foot seven, 249 pounds. Um, he's still on injured reserve right now, um, but he should be returned to play you know, sooner rather than later. And at the very least, I'd consider adding Jackson to your watch list if you have a scout team or a watch list. Um, I already did so last year during the preseason, just because this year rather, during the preseason, because he looked so good and I thought Ertz might get traded. But now that it's finally happened, it's back time to start keeping an eye on Tyree Jackson. Now let's talk some trades. This will be our last thing that we'll do here on the podcast today. Week six trades. As I always say, trades are really hard to grade in a vacuum because scoring systems are different and every you know roster construction is different. And that's what I, what I do is I talk about you know trades that have taken place in my leagues and try to give what I think the owners were thinking in uh, their uh, in the trades that were made. So this is you know this week six, and uh, I think that they're starting to get a lot more trades that are starting uh, to happen, including some future picks. Now that teams are starting to think about uh, their futures. So here are five trades that took place in my leagues uh, over this last week. First, Zach Ertz was traded for Johnny Smith and Marquise Callaway. So this week, this is a trade that I made. I actually made the exact same trade, the same players in the exact same trade in two different leagues. And I did it one day before Ertz was traded to Arizona. So that's pretty wild. Um, in both of those leagues, I had Dallas Goddard on my roster. And so I made the trade for several reasons. Um, I'm in the middle of a pack in both of those leagues right now, and I just needed a tight end to help me for this very week and thought that with Goddard out with COVID that Ertz would begin, you know, give me a good play for the week. But I also knew about the trade rumors. 
and I hoped that he would get traded. I had no idea what happened a day after I made the trade and a day after he played. Um, that's what happened. I think that both, you know, both uh, Ertz and Goddard are kind of questionable starters right now. Like I already said, I don't like Hertz's uh, inaccuracy. And then, of course, we just don't know what the fit is going to be for Ertz in Arizona just yet. Uh, but I, I still like my side of the trade in this trade. I was willing to move from Johnny Smith, given the fact that Hunter Henry's way out produced him the last couple weeks. And then Callaway, I just see as a guy who is never going to be in my starting lineups. And these both of these rosters, I have pretty good receiver depth and feel like Callaway's probably never going to be in my starting lineup. And Michael Thomas is coming back soon, so Callaway's value is probably going to drop after that as well. So pretty good trade, and the actual NFL trade behind it uh, helped me even more. I can't believe I got that done in two leagues the day before all that happened. Next trade I made, uh, this one was one that I made, Chuba Hubbard and Ricky Seals-Jones. I traded for Dallas Goddard and Mike Davis. Chuba Hubbard and Ricky Seals-Jones for Dallas Goddard and Mike Davis. So I made this trade for Hubbard, and I overpaid by quite a bit, I admit it. Um, but I did it for the long-term security of having the handcuff to Christian McCaffrey, who I also have on this team. Uh, CMC, CMC's injury is killing me on this team, as it did last year, unfortunately. Uh, last season, I rode Mike Davis you know, into a playoff run with CMC while he was out, and I hope that I could do the same again with Hubbard, or at least buy a few wins, You know, try to hold my, hold my ground until CMC comes back to help me hopefully make a playoff run. I added Ricky Seals-Jones uh, since he can start for me in a few weeks because George Kittle is my starting tight end. And while he's injured for a few weeks, not I or himself, I'm happy to put in Ricky Seals-Jones as a pretty consistent uh, starter for me for a few weeks. If I'm honest, I actually like the other side of this trade better. Uh, Goddard is definitely still a top 12 dynasty tight end. And Mike Davis's dynasty value has fallen every week during the season, I think. Um, and I don't think he's really going to rebound from a dynasty perspective. Um, so I'm not concerned about losing him. But the other team definitely got the best player in this trade in Goddard. But I have now bought the Carolina backfield, which I think is really important uh, for this team that I have in the long term. And if you followed me, you know that I'm keen on uh, handcuffing my backs. And so I paid up, uh, paid the price, but that's the trade that I made. Three more here real quick. Uh, Khalil Herbert in a 2022 second round pick was traded for a 2023 first round pick. So speaking of securing a backfield... Uh, that's just what this manager did in this league by buying Herbert. Uh, the manager has David Montgomery on IR, and he wanted to add his handcuff for the long term, just like I did with Hubbard. Um, and he also wanted to start Herbert this week, and Herbert looked great on Sunday. And he actually looks like a far more complete back than Damian Williams. I think if he plays well in the next week or two while Williams and Montgomery are injured, uh, he could lock up the, the backup role and really relegate Williams to a permanent passing downs role. Uh, the team that gave... Up Herbert for the second round pick is a, in a long-term rebuild, and they added um, they added the first uh, 2023 pick that has been traded in this league. In this in this league, um, I already had uh, that guy already had multiple first round and second round picks in 2022, and so they're very very willing to give up one of their 2022 seconds so they could advance themselves to a 2023 first round pick in a vacuum. Uh, I much prefer locking up that. Yeah, I much prefer the 2023 first round pick in this trade. But like I said about myself, I also really enjoy locking up a backfield too. And so I like what the other manager did here. Um, he'll you know have to really try to nail that 2022 second round pick that he gets to really feel great about this trade. I think. Um, unfortunately, it's not the second round pick of the rebuilding team. Instead, it was a second round pick of my team, which I traded to him. So he's not getting a high round second round pick. My team's pretty good in that league, so it'll probably be a later 
round pick in the second round. Still a pretty even trade. I like what both people are trying to do. If he nails the second round pick this next year, he'll be very happy with it. If not, um, this first round pick in 2023 is really going to help this other team rebuild. Two more quick ones here. LaVisca Chenault, he was traded for a 2022 first and fourth round pick. For a 2022 first and fourth for LaVisca Chenault. Chenault has certainly yet to meet my expectations of a breakout season this year under his new quarterback, Travis, Trevor Lawrence. That's what I was hoping for. In fact, I traded a 2021 first round draft pick for Chenault last year. And I've been a dis- uh, very disappointed this season, yet I'm still holding out hope. Um, in the case of these teams, the team that had Chenault already traded away their 22 second round, first round pick. And so this trade allowed them to get back into the first round. So that's understandable. And then the team that added Chenault is really hurting at wide receiver since Brandon Ayuk primarily has just not been startable this year. Uh, his wide receiver core is pretty rough shape, uh, but now he has at least several young players that can develop like Brandon Ayuk, Elijah Moore, and Chenault. Those are three good young guys to let develop. Um, I like this trade. I think like it's pretty even for both teams in my opinion. Final trade that I'll mention uh, was Donald Parham. He was traded for a 2020 second round and third round pick. Now, you guys know that I like Parham, and I see him as a possible long-term future in L.A. if he can outperform Jared Cook by the end of this year. Um, but I think this future you know, is too uncertain to give up a second-round pick for him, especially in a 10-team league where that second-round pick is a little bit better. A uh, third-round pick would have been a better estimation, in my opinion, for Parham's value right now. Um, so I think in this side, I like the picks side of this trade even though you know I like Parham too. All right, long week this week. Things are getting busy. A lot more things are happening. Uh, I hope that you're having a great season. We'd love to talk to you about it. So make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. It's dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Dynastyfreaks with two E's. I'm much better on email than I am on Twitter. So contact me that way. I would be very honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast because I'm an independent guy here and I need all the help that I can get. Um, I do appreciate you for listening though. I appreciate your support, and I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin.com.